0: Field, people will come, and yeah, it doesn't happen. You have to look at how you're doing business. Welcome to White Sox Business, the only podcast about Chicago's winning South Side baseball team, hosted by me, John Greenberg, and most importantly, our leadoff hitter, James Fegan. James, the White Sox can't stop, won't stop winning baseball games. To quote Lisa Simpson, the White Sox have the momentum of a runaway freight train. Why are they so popular?
1: You know, I, I wasn't it like the athletic out of the park sim? And I feel like some other, like if there was like a an awful AL Central team that people thought might actually be decent, it was the Royals. And they're like killing it in the athletic, like out of the park sim for like, I don't know, two weeks. I didn't pay attention to that thing. I hope it did well. Um, <laughs> but they, they don't seem like a good team. Um, I think it's really interesting that they're kind of leaning into like, Screw it. Let's just throw all our double A pitching prospects into the thresher. You know, it's probably, a, it's probably a better use of our time than giving like Glenn Sparkman 12 starts. That That's cool. That's interesting. But they don't seem like they're a team that the White Sox, if they're going to be anything worth uh, watching this year uh, through the pandemic, should crush. And uh, fiddly, they swept them and I think scored like seven runs a game while they were there. So, yeah, yeah
0: it, it was nice for those of us who uh, who bet the over yesterday on a whim just for educational purposes.
1: I mean, you're probably sweating um, it out until the seventh, but
0: I was I like stopped paying attention to it. And then I looked at that. I, I was out doing something and I was looking at my phone. I'm like, holy cow, they keep scoring. The over under was 10.
1: <laughs> it's pretty I mean, they amazing. brought out Sparkman for like the second straight night of relief after he gotten gotten uh, shelled the night before and uh, he airmailed a Danny Mendic comebacker like 10 right. feet over first baseman's head. This is the same Glenn Sparkman who I watched uh, throw a, a complete game five hitter against them uh, last season <laughs> right after the All-Star break, which was possibly, I think, compares right along, right after they traded Jose and and maybe went like 1-11 for a stretch and the final seven games of the 2018 season where they were like, they were sixty two and ninety three and finished sixty two and one hundred, with the the worst <laughs> stretches of White Sox baseball I've seen since I covered. So it it was it was a little bit of a exercising some ghosts for them.
0: Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, and everyone kind of had that like the joke when uh, what's his name Chris Bubik. How do you pronounce his last, How do you pronounce his last name?
1: Uh well the pronunciation guy we got is either boob itch or you can go with boob itch as like uh you know and it These are terrible pronunciations a, a rash around the woman's body part. Jesus James. <laughs> there's no, there's, another, out. <laughs> there's another uh, clip that uh we got of I made of like Adam Engel trying to pronounce it that I thought was really funny. <laughs>
0: But yeah, everyone was like, "Oh yeah, of course this guy will probably shut, you know, pitch like uh, seven scoreless innings against the team because that's just how they are when they face a guy they've never heard of before, who, you know, who
1: should who should get rocked." I mean, he was kind of okay on right. the whole Adam Engel 3-run homer thing. <laughs> exactly.
0: That was the killer. And then that was another game where I might have lost money on the, on the White Sox. Theoretically, um, thinking they would beat that guy by more than one run. So, seemed like a good idea.
1: Yeah, but apparently the... But they survived. Uh, you know, I think that was the stretch where they got to, like, almost uh, 17 innings of their bullpen throwing shutout ball, which was... Right. The bullpen, like, it's a bunch of guys who did well last year, who have been, you know, reliable-ish in their careers, but none of them really have, like, sexy stuff. And they don't have, like, a... a James Karinchak, like Cleveland has coming out of the bullpen, who just throws like elite stuff and has ridiculous strikeout numbers. They're all just kind of like Aaron Bummer is like the coolest reliever in that pen, and he's still right. like a sinker baller. Um, like they don't have any like these high octane stuff. So the fact that they were um, basically carrying the team uh, through an otherwise disastrous stretch uh, was surprising to me.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean. It's all you're always going to get those kind of little runs in a season where yeah the bull, everyone's talking about the White Sox bullpen and then, you know, maybe the starters do it. And then this is just a weird season because we're not going to get it. Um Those kind of stretches can actually really carry you because there just isn't there isn't 162. There's 60. So that's kind of the beauty of the season is like we're not going to see stuff get normalized. It's just like, all right, bullpen's hot for a little bit. That can carry us. Someone's going to carry us for the next Six, seven games and then on and on it goes. So let's go into the hottest. you know, if you want to talk about the sexy stuff or Luis Robert at leadoff. Nick Madrigal, four hits a game. James, this is like your dream come true.
1: Is it wouldn't my dream come true to be like some like reliever I profile an A ball to like throw two yeah. good innings of work and for me to write yeah, 1, I guess 1, hundred words about it?
0: Yeah, I guess that's <laughs> I I I was under underselling your uh Commitment to esoteric story ideas that get like a thousand subscriber views. But like, this is like kind of like your big picture. This is like your mainstream dream come true. Not your like, uh, not the weird art film script you have buried in your desk. This is your like, you know, relatable blockbuster.
1: Yeah, I feel like everyone, every time Louis Robert uh, falls out of bed, you know, most of the outlets probably write uh, excited about it, but like, you know the young goat is here and stuff like that. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was fun because, um, I don't know, Luis Roberts kind of a ridiculous leadoff hitter in, in a sense that, you know, the, the night he kind of goes off uh, the first time he puts him in because uh, Tim strains his groin. It was, it was fun to, a little small subplot that was buried is that everyone kind of, uh, you know, piled on Tim for his defense again in a play where he got hurt. Um, but replacing tim anderson Luis robert just absolutely goes off and has like a you know home run two doubles and a single um i'm not sure if he stole a base but let's just assume he did at some point point. and I, he saw 10 pitches in um nice. <laughs> the six plate appearances he's just cutting on everything i think the next game he started out he struck out like in both of his um first two plate appearances on on sunday and he had already seen seven pitches at least by that point so he like you know at least he was seeing a couple but it it is very atypical but it's also like i i think the way i wrote is that a traditional leadoff guy someone with as much power as he has because he hit like an opposite field home run on an outside fastball you know typically that's a middle of the order dude um and maybe the traditional sabermetric uh you know, definition of a leadoff hitter who would actually see some pitches, maybe work to the pitcher a little bit, maybe like actually help his um the guys behind him get a feel for what the other guy is throwing and what he's commanding that day. He doesn't do that either. But the rule of thought of just like, hey, you just put your best hitter in the position to hit as often as possible. He's the perfect leadoff hitter because he's kind of insane when he gets going. And you know, Ricky and I had a, a kind of fun. Uh, interplay where he was yep. joking about like this is what Tim Anderson's basically been doing the last year. You know, he's, he's yeah. Not let's listen. To that. leadoff hitter at all, but you know, he, if he's getting hits, I'm going to ride him, and it's fine. Yeah, let's. Uh, we have the sound for that. We can listen to it. I mean, he's always going to be aggressive. Can that work for him at the at the top of the order like that kind of consistently? You feel? James <laughs> Timmy's been doing that for a while. What's the difference between Timmy and Louis Robert? Everybody wants to be Robert at the top. They want to see it. Uh, him and Timmy are actually very similar type of uh, hitters in terms of their approach.
0: I like how I like how Ricky. Ricky's done this before with you because remember you you guys have this little fun relationship. I don't know where it stems from. Maybe he just finds you amusing. But wasn't it with he uh, was the it was uh, was it last season when you was about the lineup when you did and you've you've tweeted that story out recently that Ricky doesn't you know give a shit what you think about the lineup. Yeah, isn't that what uh, it stemmed from?
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, I want to say it was last August in Minneapolis where I I said it, and um, he he kind of went off because and it, to his to his defense or to his credit, it was probably like I don't know the 80th time we had asked him about the lineup and like maybe my 80th attempt to kind of phrase it as like some sort of larger scholarly question but it really was just like why did you hit this guy here and he saw through it and he's like listen all right just to like just not set the record straight like I'm gonna set it for the reasons I said it like I'm not going to bow to outside pressures or reasonings by the time the game ended he had already sent like PR to talk to me to make it like assure that he wasn't mad at me and then pulled me aside like after we had talked post-game to once again reiterate like hey i was just getting that off my chest it wasn't personal so like it was and i i I never thought from a second that it was anything directed at me it was just like i i immediately appreciate it's like i'm glad he's speaking honestly because that's what you want as a reporter like i think everyone thought that scene was like tense when he went off because it's like of course the scrum ends after that but i just immediately walked away because coop was waiting to talk to me at that point so like I don't know if the other reporter's like, whoa, is this a fight or anything? But I was just like, all right, we're done. And I left. Because, <laughs> like, to me, it was nothing. Um, so, yeah, we, we've gone through this before. He actually gave me – I don't know what we were t- we were talking about yesterday, but he, like um, – he name-dropped me again on Sunday saying uh, – you know, someone was asking – it was guff was asking him about, oh, they, they manufactured all these runs Sunday. Um that, you know, they didn't have to rely on the, the long ball. And Ricky was like, well, yeah, well, as I'm always having to tell James, you know, we try to do make sure that we can produce in any way. We don't want to get locked <laughs> into any one, one, one mode of scoring runs. I just piped in. It's like, thanks for the reminder, Ricky. And he laughed as he was walking out. So I, I don't know how we became buds in the last year and a half. but uh,
0: Well, it's because you're there all the time. <laughs> I mean, it's good, too, just because Ricky's one year – you know, with the Cubs, he didn't show much personality and he just seemed like very unwilling to engage with a lot of people on like, I mean, it was kind of a weird year that year because it was 14 when the Cubs were kind of in between stuff. And then in the first couple of years with the White Sox, it's like, what do you, you know, it was weird because people weren't expecting them to win. And it was, it's just, I think it's a tough thing for a manager to handle ever talking to the media twice a day when no one actually when like the whole mode of the season is not winning and it's not really that day's game and like so there's like you kind of have to show the the interest that you do care about being there and what's going on on the field is is important even though we know it's not and like for me it was going to be interesting this year to see how Ricky handles this you know the actual the team's win-loss record is really important it's the most important thing by far and it seems like he's handling it pretty well
1: I think for us, at least, I spent a lot of the first year or two feeling him out and trying to tiptoe around things and ask things like politely to try to get a feel for his thinking. And he would kind of see through it and maybe give like a a curt reply and, you know, or, or the fact that he's generally waits for basically the front office to make something public before he really gives an inkling to anything about his thinking. You know, we don't have a lot of talking off the record after the, the scrum's over. It's very much like, it's not like um, Aussie stays. You're, I was you're getting a lot of the, the company line a lot. And so a certain point you're trying to, well, you're trying to ask for more information so you can maybe characterize a thinking. It doesn't come off as poorly as the company line can come off sometimes. And, He's not giving me anything, and so at a certain point, you're like, well, if he's not going to play ball, I'm just going to be more direct, or I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop trying to be polite, and I feel like when I stopped maybe BSing a little bit, and maybe it was more direct, and maybe it was a bit more challenging him, all of a sudden, the relationship got a lot better, because they felt like I was being more straightforward with him, and in return, right. he was more straightforward with me, so it's almost like when we cut the BS, all of a sudden, like, it's friendly now, so it, it was interesting.
0: And that's a good point. And I feel like all baseball players really want you to cut the BS. And there's a lot of people in our market, and I'm sure I do it too. You know, you want to be polite when you're talking to someone face to face. You don't want to be a jerk. Um, but I think most baseball players, since you're, and most athletes in general, want you to be direct because otherwise, it's like you could be trying. At least if you're direct, they know where you're coming from. You know, the questions out there, what they're responding to, and it's not. We could use stuff not saying you and I, but like reporters can, you know, can ask a question in kind of a sidling manner and then use it against them, you know, with our own words. And that's when I think people get annoyed with us, at least the people that, you know, are mature about the relationship between, you know, media and athletes. So right. I think what you said you, makes sense.
1: You, you'll you be all like, well, I, you don't feel comfortable going up to a, like a, you know, an athlete who's a three-time all-star whatnot and being like, why the hell did you do that? So you asked all these questions like, well, obviously you were wearing all these things and it's a very difficult play. <laughs> and, that, and they're just like, all right, wh- what do you want to know? Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I didn't see the guy. That's why I didn't throw that pace. All right. Yeah. <laughs> just ask the question.
0: That was the kind of the great part about Aussies. You could really, I mean, people did like, you know, S- Ozzy's way, because he's obviously translating in his head as well, you know, even though he's pretty, you know, very comfortable with English. Like, I remember for a while I was getting bad answers from him and Doug Padilla is like, yeah, it's because you're trying to like, your questions are too long. Just ask Ozzy, like, just be like Ozzy, the bullpen. <laughs> and then you're going to get his unfiltered thoughts. So it's like, you you almost have to know how to talk to certain people. Like that's a, that's a skill like of how people respond to certain things. And some people you just need to just to give them the, you know, just throw something out there. And I think Ricky, I think it's a it's a sign of respect that you actually care like you know what his uh what his opinion is on these things. So uh, it's it is interesting, and I'm glad. I wanted to see how Ricky was going to handle, you know, being being on a team and running a team that's got expectations. Because if you look at Ricky's career, I mean, obviously his career hasn't been spent in a lot of places. But when he was a player, you know, in his cups of coffees with different teams, he was on bad teams. Uh, right. Padres. He had one. When he was a coach, they had one winning season when they won ninety games. Uh, Cubs and White Sox have been terrible. You know, every year he's been on it. Ricky actually as much as he embodies like what they want in a winner and a manager, he's actually never really been on winning teams.
1: Yeah, so when that, they asked him about this team and like if he what he's kind of experienced that was similar of it before the season started, he referenced being the uh I think it was the third base coach or the bench coach with the twenty ten Padres was really the his, his big experience of being in a race, which was why I talked to Bud Black about that uh, before the season, because that that's kind of his one experience. That's probably not what people want to look into deeply, too, because that team crumbled down the stretch and like blew a division championship. But that that's kind of his his, his framework for that.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of interesting because we always talk about when we talk to people about, you know, winning and this guy, you know, you know this person knows how to win or or when guys start talking about this is what winning teams do. And you, I start to think to myself, well, what, what experience do you really have winning? Like, that's, like, an interesting, you know, and and I know that's why they got guys like Dallas Keuchel, right, and, and Carnacion, like, guys that have had experience doing that, because really not everyone has.
1: Well, yeah, because, like, the, the leader of this team is Abreu, who's played for the team <laughs> for six seasons, and they haven't won, and I think... I don't, know, I don't know how much we talked to, like, Abreu about it, but Mancado was just like, yeah, we were on the same team. We were like, wow, that team team had Abreu and Mancado on it in Cuba? That must have been great. And he was like, no, we were pretty bad.
0: <laughs> like, you guys didn't even win in Cuba?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, Mancado was probably, like, 15, and <laughs> neither of <laughs> them were pitching, so.
0: It's, it, that is some, it's something to think about, uh, the guy's actual experience winning, so. What about Dylan Cease? So, Dylan Cease says it's another quality start for the Sox. Dylan, you know.
1: Another. That's pretty much, the second one.
0: <laughs> right. Another. <laughs> literally. Uh, <laughs> Dylan, we've talked about this back end of the bullpen pretty much every episode. What did you see from Cease? Obviously, you're watching from home, which is, you know, where you
1: usually you'd be there in person. Yeah, I. it was. It was obviously better. It wasn't Dylan Cease like Dylan Cease like the ceiling that you hope for or what you're hoping to get. It was mainly this is a guy who throws 97 plus and it's a bad team. Throw it in the zone and let's get through this. And that's largely what it did. I don't think you saw his curveball really commanded to, to be the weapon it was or uh, in spring training. He was able to throw a slider for the strike, which is nice, but it, he wasn't wipeout. He wasn't overwhelming. He, he mostly just threw his fastball in the zone and upstairs and no one could really uh you know barrel it to any degree and that's that's what you want you definitely don't want to take yourself out of starts against the royals by not being able to throw strikes and he didn't do that but he wasn't like the guy that uh you know he wasn't the chosen one or anything i felt like um you know ronaldo lopez in the middle of his command problems probably could have had a start like this and and gotten through it and you know in 2018 2019 we'd be desperate for content, being like, well, is this a step forward? But it was more just (laughs) (laughs) he he got through on a bad team the way you'd want him to. And, you know, that's a skill in itself. But it's not yet Dylan Cease is, uh, you know, a god or anything like that.
0: So now they've got Nick Madrigal at second. We saw Nicky Sticks perform a classic Nick Madrigal performance on Sunday. What does he bring? What's he bringing on offense? I mean, that was his, his breakout offensively. We can talk about that, but also the defense. You know, what's Nick Madrigal bringing on defense? Tim Anderson's not playing short. They've got what Mendek playing. Who else is who's who else is going to play short?
1: Larry Garcia would probably is probably going to yeah. play there regularly. Um, he had a, a right. close friend of him died, that's why he wasn't playing okay. on Sunday. I think it's his birthday today. Um, a lot of life he get off for Leroy. his birthday. A lot of life of Leroy going on right now. I don't. It didn't sound like he would, but um, yeah, uh, he's very. I don't say like he's. He's very sure-handed. He's not like a, a range monster. He's not going to be like the greatest second baseman of all time, just in, in terms of like what he vacuums up, but he's going to like make the routine stuff all the time. I, I feel like he's, I don't know how much you can appreciate him on TV. Uh, like I was tweeting about something he did in summer camp where he was just, someone got on base and his efforts to have him picked off were just visible from first on an empty park. Cause you can hear him talking to his, uh, his teammates the entire time. He's trying Wait, to like who yell did- at Tyler.
0: Who are you Madrigal.
1: talking about? Okay. The, the the runner gets on base and Madrigal is just like, clearly he's one like yelling at the, the pitcher when they have him like picked off if he had thrown sooner. And then like immediately once this guy gets to second base on a, a wild pitch, Madrigal is like doing the little like running behind him trick and gets him picked off. Like his communication level on defense and like the constant little weird schemes of he's trying to pick on people. Uh, to 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 get extra outs on defense i don't know how much they'll show up on tv i hope they will because he's just like a very smart scheming defender who is constantly looking for ways to uh, basically trick the opposition he tried to intentionally drop a line drive to him during a spring training game because the guy wasn't running the first very hard so he can induce a double play uh he he's that type of guy i think he'd probably be or probably was an extremely annoying player to play in uh in practice games or a little league because of all the kind of like shit he pulls all the time but to see it on a major league level i think could probably be very funny
0: was it nice to see him the way he hit yesterday i mean is that pretty much what we what people should be expecting from not four hits a game but you know the nick madrigal experience the way he's going to get hits
1: yeah you saw the the whole uh <laughs> All, he played the greatest hits. You had a line drive to right. You had two rollers up the middle, and I, I forget what the other. Was. It was just like a a v- wide variety of CNI singles, and then he almost like legged out a comebacker to the pitcher. Um, and <laughs> he seemed kind of mad about it post game. Like uh, he he was happy. Obviously, his first hit had gotten out of the way. But someone asked him about like his fifth at bat where he it seemed like a bang, bang play where he got called out and they didn't replay it because it was nine to two. And he's just like, yeah, I'd be interested in seeing a replay on that. I'm pretty sure I beat it out. that, that seems like a peak magical answer.
0: Right. They say you don't draft for need, especially in baseball. But like that's a guy the whites. I mean, that's a guy the White Sox needed a contact hitter like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things you saw in their offense on Sunday, especially that that have been missing. One that someone who's just like constantly poking balls in the play, even when they're fooled on sliders, like Madrigal. But like their big rally, or one of their big rallies in the, I was going to say fourth or fifth, was based on Mancada and Grandal both taking really close pitches for th- full count walks. That was not something that you saw uh you know daniel palka do uh for example <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't really his game or you know i was looking at the game where um where uh, they got shut out by the royals last july and i think it had charlie tilson and aj reed and john jay in the lineup like that, that was not with those guys games either uh, yeah th- th- things have changed a bit uh, i don't know if it's going to win them the ale central pretty sure the twins are still going to beat them but they're clearly improved
0: with daniel palka he signed korea
1: yeah, to replace Tyler Saladino because uh, you know, his back problems have, have oh, emerged really? for the umpteenth time. Ah, uh,
0: so they, so Saladino's done there, or is he just
1: uh, they waived him? I, I don't know if he's coming uh, back this season based off how that how his back has basically ruined his last four seasons in a row. I, uh, I wouldn't be optimistic. That
0: stinks. Yeah,
1: he was he, he was re- crushing the ball. He had like a over four hundred OBP when they, they went on the injured list.
0: I have a Do you st- would Does he have kids?
1: I don't think so. I think he just right. got married.
0: Okay. I was like, "Would you stay in can you stay in South Korea or did they kick him out?"
1: Uh I think from the sound of it, he either just got married or just got engaged, but I think his uh, significant other was still stateside.
0: Okay, so he will probably leave cuz I was going to say it sounded like his life was pretty good there.
1: Yeah, I mean, he definitely had more freedom to, you know, walk around the town than he does coming back to California.
0: Uh, well, speaking of the pandemic and its effects on people. Uh, you wrote a really good story um, today that I hope people read. I know our, our some of our MLB people were, were really happy with it. I was really happy with it where you talked to Aaron Santana, who is basically, um, I, don't, I forget her exact title, but she's basically the liaison between the White Sox and their Latin American prospects, the minor leaguers. And she is really doing a lot to help them with their life just in, in normal times. And now with this pandemic, she has to do, I mean, she's basically like triage because she's handling educational stuff. She's handling life stuff. Uh, when you called her for a story, she was helping someone file for unemployment. Uh, you know, you, you've been on, on this story for a while What they what they do with education for the Latin American prospects. What, what are the white Sox trying to do for their minor leaguers uh, from Latin America right now?
1: I mean, right now they they are still doing education, but um, it, it's a lot more self directed. It's more like if players are expressing an interest or calling them up for for lessons, they're they're providing them. But you know, they did a lot with the classroom format in terms of having them talk to each other or having American prospects come in and, and talk and, and, and you know trying to acclimate them to their surroundings and, and take them to museums and and study about like the place that they live now. But in the immediate wake when the pandemic hit, it's just like you have their staff, which is four people, including like, you know, guys in Dominican like uh, Luis Silverio, who I, I first met when he was uh, he was still an outfielder for the dash. And he, uh, you know, interpreted an interview with for with Luis Basabi with me for me and. Um, Right then, you have, like, well, here's a bunch of staff who have good rapport with all the players and can all speak Spanish. So you guys are going to communicate to them the logistics of, of getting the hell out of here when they, they shut down uh, the spring training complexes. And, you know, they're trying to get everybody home before, you know, the travel restrictions get set in. And, you know, in the immediate, the, they get everyone pretty much home. But the only exception is these 19 Venezuelan players who basically the border of the Venezuela gets closed before they can get back. And so they're housing them in their complex in the Dominican Republic, which I visited in January of 2019 and uh, Lord knows whenever I'll be back at this rate, but it, it's kind of, these are guys who are upset. They're, they're kind of in a unique situation in terms of maybe other minor leagues in that they are basically at a complex and they could still probably take BP and, and work out, but they're separated from their home during this kind of global crisis. So a lot of what they're doing and what turns out to be kind of the formula for how they deal with other prospects is that they're kind of checking in with them and what they're, what's stressing them out. They're trying to do kind of mental affirmation exercises, like taking a, an account of, uh, you know, what they're thankful for or what, what's troubling them and, um, and when they spread that out towards, you know, the rest of their prospects, they're, they're talking to guys and they're talking them through guys who are living at home with maybe not such great situations that uh, they had been counting baseball to get them away from. And now they're stuck with parents that they, they didn't want to deal with or that um, the whole host of prospects who were about a month away from cle- completing their uh high school degree um, because one of the elements when I did the story last year was that they kind of encourage all these uh, prospects to go to class and, and complete their basically the equivalent of a GED to you know to have something because some of these guys get signed at 16 and realistically are signed at 14 or 15 and you know stop really going towards that education goals and the vast majority of them are not going to make the majors so they want to try to give them some sort of bedrock of uh, education to, to go out from so that was a big success. Last year, and so they were trying to make sure that didn't kind of die on the vine with everybody going home, and that's uh, a lot of doing Zoom call lessons with guys, or um, you know, administering final exams via via Zoom or on the internet, and or in some cases for guys who are living rural parts of the Dominican Republic or finding where they can find internet, and like they're traking like an hour, a half hour bus ride to some next over town that has a Wi Fi cafe and taking their final exam in high school. Um, just kind of guiding through like this whole host of stuff like that. Uh, and in the meantime, they're kind of, you know, uh, when we first talked, w- w- when I first talked to Aaron, like the George Floyd protests are like popping up all over, uh, the United States and so much of what they do with the prospects is kind of trying to acclimate them to the United States, both, you know, by teaching them English, but also culturally. And so a lot of the Dominican players are asking Aaron Santana, who's the, the minor league education coordinator, like, what's going on? And she's realizing, like, this is going to have to be neat. Like, they already told instructed players and gave them lessons about what the Negro Leagues are, uh, which I'm sure it you know, blew their minds. But she's realizing this is going to become part of their curriculum as well right. to basically just understand what the current moment is. And she was talking about how they're going to have this. they She found this entire... Uh, curriculum, you know, ESL curriculum on the George Floyd protests from, from Canada, which was great because Canada was very matter of fact about uh, the situation right. of relations in the United States. So I, it, was, it was really very fascinating, a lot more than I um, um was prepared, to, was expecting when I first called it up. I basically just thought this was a good story last year. Let me revisit it in the pandemic because you can do that with basically any story right now. But uh, it, it turned out to be a lot more.
0: You know, it was interesting in there. She she talks about um, what Aaron talks about in there is also identity. And that's like, you know, for for players from different, you know, from the Dominican, you know, they won't say they're black, right? It's like, oh, they're of Haitian, like, descent, right? So in different countries. So it's like the idea, just the idea of identity in this country. And are these guys considered black, you know, because in, in America, we know, like, how defined that stuff is you know and i think th- these guys are kind of learning like how they're seen in america
1: right and that was part of the even their instruction last year was a little bit of a workshop saying like hey when you guys get pulled over by the police they're going to see a black person they're going to treat you as such <laughs> so you should understand what that is right uh, and, and i feel like if anything they've gotten a little bit more fuel to explain what that means and what that connotates uh and right
0: now. why it's important and what like you have to and that's, uh, I would never have thought of that, you know, uh, it's, yeah. that's, it's really fascinating how, how in depth they're taking this, and it, but it seems like they almost need more, more, more than one Aaron Santana. <laughs> seems like she's doing a lot of work.
1: Yeah. And she's got a couple people. She's got Grant Flick in Arizona is one of their educational instructors. And there's two people who uh, uh, work in the Dominican Republic. She's kind of like the coordinator of all of them, but I, I would say she's, she's definitely the. Uh, the Luis Robert of their lineup at at this point.
0: Well, it's good that they're doing this. Um, You know, because you you hear all the stories of these guys, you know, how people were, how minor leaguers are getting treated right now is not really a positive story across baseball. Right. Um, And and it's nice that people are waking up to that.
1: It's reflective of the reality still that she was helping uh, players to file their unemployment. I mean, the White Sox uh, and something... Breaking news that I was able to put in the story is that they were extending the stipends through uh, August, but um, even then, that's $400 a week, and that may go a little bit farther than Dominican Republic, but it, it's still not going to be something that's you know replacing having a job and a career that you feel like you have when you're you know ascending through the minor leagues.
0: Right, and that was another part of the, when you talk about you know dealing with the mental aspect of this is she said she feels like guys are worried they're going to be forgotten. You know, yeah. no, they're, they're not being seen playing baseball. That's their purpose. And they figure, you know, the White Sox are just going to forget about them.
1: Your your life or your how you're feeling about how you're progressing in your life is, is based off whether or not you're getting noticed and whether or not they think you're playing well over the past, like, month. And all of a sudden, that feedback goes away mm-hmm. entirely. It's like, what what am I doing? What am I headed towards?
0: Right. And, then you know, and I mean, I don't know how much these guys are reading, like, Baseball America, but, you know, the idea that the minor leagues – are going to get, they're not expanding, you know, they're right. going to get downsized. And that's a lot of these guys are going to be, you know, aren't going to have jobs. So, I mean, it's like, it's a good thing. They're doing this education, but it's still a very unforgiving lifestyle.
1: Yeah. Especially if, you know, if you're really good at baseball in as a, in the Dominican Republic at age 13 or 14, and you have this idea that you're going to get signed. Like that's seems like what your path is going to be. It's probably not, being pitched to you as, well, you know, it's like a less than 1% chance you ever actually make and you know, secure a career, <laughs> career securing wealth or anything like that. Um, it, it's probably pitched to you as this is what you have to go towards 115%. Um, and that, that's all you should focus on. So um, it's probably only when they start taking education classes that anyone really raises the possibility of like, well, you know, maybe you should start preparing for when this doesn't work out.
0: Yeah. Well, Nice uplifting um, way to end the podcast. James, uh, the White Sox are two in Milwaukee. And then what is it? Three at three at home against Milwaukee. Uh, two and two. Oh, it's just two and two. OK, so and you we, you were going to stay in Milwaukee. But now we're going we're gonna to play by the rules of Chicago, of Mayor Lightfoot um, and that not staying in Wisconsin because that is now a, a designated hotspot by the city. But you're going to you're going to drive up and back. You're not going to breathe in the air. We're going to give you uh, make sure you breathe in your shirt when you're walking from the parking lot to the stadium. Right.
1: Well, I I usually have a I just mask it up from the moment I leave my car until the moment I get in.
0: That's usually a good idea. You can't stop at the Mars Cheese Castle, James, for a beer and some cheese.
1: Sorry. I I don't even know what that is, but I guess I should get familiar.
0: I've actually never been there. I've never stopped there on the way
1: my sister uh has been to milwaukee a lot so you've never
0: really been wh- to milwaukee
1: i've been to milwaukee but i asked my sister where to go and so then i wind up like some hipster bar i wind up at some bar full of lesbians who love the WNBA, and that's a really cool vibe but maybe it's not the you Wait. Know, typical
0: <laughs> Wait, where's the WNBA bar in milwaukee which is not I, a WNBA city
1: <laughs> I, I don't know um i'd have to ask her again
0: you know we need to get your sister to do it. that would be like an unbelievable story for our WNBA coverage is like the best WNBA bars in every city would actually would, be like very useful information
1: it would probably be full of like problematic lines like what provocative <laughs> thing you can say to the bartender to get you an extra shot like that's the type of <laughs> advice she would she would impl- she would include
0: Yeah, we need we need more of that uh more of that or
1: content like, what what bars will allow you to put your radical feminist art up in the bathroom?
0: Milwaukee is a cool city. I haven't I haven't hung out there bar wise in many many years, but very cool city. Um, one of my friends from high school is an artist there, so I'm sure he would know a lot of these bars as well. Uh, but you're you're going up and back. You're gonna watch Lucas Giolito make his start. Um, maybe you can go through like a drive through on the way home. Although you don't really eat that kind of food anymore. You're not a. You don't eat like a scout anymore.
1: Yeah, but if I'm, you know, if I, if I'm driving there and back, it's probably not a great opportunity. And they're not doing like meals at the park. I got to pick up something at some point.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm still a man. <laughs> Brewers' food's not like anything to write home about, but what they have the uh, the side stuff's really good because they have like a soft serve ice cream machine. They've got like jars of candy usually like yeah, a nacho it's, machine. It these is. all sound like
1: things you immediately eliminate <laughs> to, right, to camera, to, in the pandemic. Right, exactly.
0: <laughs> so we can't even have coffee machines. Right. Um, which has been a big uh, to do. It. We, we're complaining about it at the Cubs. It's a huge someone, issue. Someone wanted to, someone off, one of the writers offered to bring their cure again, and the Cubs said no because of CDC guidelines, which well, I mean, I want to see where that, what page that's on. But uh, Ron Coomer the radio man actually did bring his own Keurig into their, they, they built an expanded booth at Wrigley for them and he has his own Keurig. So we're calling it the Coomer incident over at, at Wrigley. And uh, we're afraid to write it though, because we don't want to get Coomer to get his taken away.
1: So, you're, you're assuming that they won't uh, be investigating the White Sox podcast for tips on Rod <laughs> Coomer's uh, violation of <laughs> protocols.
0: Pretty sure. Um, I was like, Coom, can you make me some coffee? And he's like, fuck no, make your own coffee. <laughs> That's not the kind of service you get at Coombe's Corner, but in Lockport, but uh, no. So we can't have coffee there. And you can't have coffee at the white. They, why won't they turn the machine on? We should, we should, James, we should hack the machine.
1: Like, I mean, the Tim, the security guard, was always cleaning and refilling the machine, and he's not in the building. So I don't know, they're powerless.
0: I think we could hack it. I think we should look into it and hack the coffee machine at the White Sox press box. They're not I listening kind of, to this. We don't have to I worry. I
1: kind of feel like we crack open that machine and a bunch of spiders would come out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can those spiders make coffee?
1: Oh, well, they're probably twenty years old. So
0: <laughs> that has not been there for twenty years. They used. I'm trying to think what they used to have for coffee. I think they must have used. You no, know, yeah, I'm, At the old press box they had a machine. Or not a machine. They just had coffee pots. I used to go down to the barge room because that actually, the one thing they had good there was coffee. They had Dunkin' Donuts coffee they would brew in little Dunkin' Donuts cups.
1: Yeah, that was one of the first uh, trip tricks of the trade that Dan Hayes showed me in 2017 was go, <laughs> yes. go to the bar's room for coffee and walk out.
0: Oh, yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Don't get yelled at. Um, all right. Let's wrap this up. Please leave us a like, comment, rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're not already a member of The Athletic, you can save 40% off your first year by visiting theathletic.com forward slash Southside, all one word, theathletic.com forward slash Southside. Our business is done here.